Hey y'all, thanks for being with us today. My name is Will, one of the pastors here at City Church, and really honored that you take some time to worship with us today. And uh, if you notice, if you're watching this on video and you notice any glistening happening on me, it's because I'm in the building in which we gather, the Texas Girls Choir building, and uh, the air conditioner's not on. And um, so if, we, if we're able to, to relaunch our gatherings on June 7th, we will make sure that the air conditioner is turned on and we'll make sure everything is scrubbed clean. And, and we're hopeful that that could happen, but also um, just day, day to day trying to understand and um, learn more about the, the data and the context that would allow us to gather in the most safe and effective way possible. And so we're eager to be back, be back together in person um, as soon as we can. But We'll let you know, and we'll keep you up to date on when that's going to be able to happen. Uh, and we're going to be in today, uh, chapter 2 of Hebrews. So if you want to grab a Bible, feel free, free, feel free to push pause at any point during this, uh, during this service and, and either reflect or think or discuss um, or even grab a Bible right now. Hebrews chapter 2 <clears throat> is where we're going to be. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at this idea of presence uh, in a world that uh, is even more uh, right now ruled by a digital distraction or a digital presence wanting to be other places. <clears throat> I, I listened to a Jerry Seinfeld comedy deal recently and he just talk, he had a, a bit about, you know, everybody's always trying to get to one place to another. Nobody actually wants to be where they are. And, uh, and so in this world that's kind of always calling us to something digitally, some other place, um, <clears throat> more than ever pulling our attention somewhere, I wanna, we, we want to call you to be present with God and with the people he's put closest to you in this season. Uh, that's actually what you were made to do is to be with God and with others in a really present way. And so these practices of presence, these spiritual activities that we've been talking about last week and now this week, I think that they can help us to live a life of worship that we were made to live, a life of presence with God and then presence with others that's transformed through his presence. So these practices, what some people have called habits of grace, they don't earn God's grace for us. We don't do these things as deposits um, in order to get God's grace. They actually, one way to think about it is they just help to position us <clears throat> underneath the waterfall of God's grace. And, and so they aren't the waterfall themselves. They don't bring the waterfall down. They just simply position you underneath the waterfall of that grace. And for the most part, we have been pointing to the positive realities, the goodness of the waterfall, and therefore the importance of the practice. We've been saying, hey, this waterfall is uh, that's where the fullness of joy is at. That's where life is found. That's where we want to position ourselves underneath. We've been looking at the positive elements of that. But there's something important for you to realize and to remember, and that's living underneath uh, the waterfall of God's grace isn't just a neat thing to do. It isn't recreational. It's critical. Living, living underneath, living in the waterfall of God's grace, living in His presence is not just something that's recreational and that's neat. It's actually critical for your life. And so I want to look at Hebrews chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 through 4. And so I'm going to read it for us. I'm going to read and explain just these few verses. And, and so this is the writer of Hebrews. He says this, Therefore we must pay cl much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
And so the writer, he's been explaining how we have heard from God in many ways throughout time, but in the most recent season, we've heard from his son, who he says, is, he's making a case in chapter one, who is superior to the angels. And then if the angels' message of uh, what he says is <clears throat> that every transgression and disobedience would receive a just retribution, if their message was reliable, if their war- warning was worth heeding, how much more is the warning of Jesus worth paying attention to? How much more should we be listening to the message of warning that comes through God's Son, Jesus? And so when I'm thinking about this warning, when I was thinking about it, I was reminded <clears throat> of a story of a man named Don Shirley. You know, you probably haven't heard of Don Shirley, but he's, he's one of a, a few divers who have ever been to the depths of, of a cave called uh, Bushman's Cave. And so he's one of uh, two divers in the story who are attempting to recover the body of someone who actually died uh, in an attempt uh, to dive to the bottom of Bushman's Cave. <coughs> and so to... <coughs> excuse me, um, to find this cave, you'd have to go to the middle of nowhere in South Africa. You'd go, you'd go kind of out to nowhere, and then you just keep on going until you get to the, to the middle of it. And you'd find a puddle uh, surrounded by rocks. And then at the bottom of that puddle would be a small slot just big enough for a, a human to, to slip through, for an adult to get into. And that actually serves as the entrance to the, to the third largest freshwater cave in the world, which is called Bushman's Cave. And it's about a thousand feet deep. You could, you could almost fit the entire Eiffel Tower into this cave. And so getting to the bottom of that cave is actually incredibly dangerous. Uh, for, for human beings to go to those depths is incredibly dangerous and really, really technical. And so dangerous that only an elite set of divers has ever made it to those kind of depths. Fewer people have actually walked on the moon, or more people have walked on the moon than have gone to the depths that John Shirley has dived to. And so uh, it's a very uh, elite group that has ever made it down there. When you make a dive like that, there's something that you do uh, as, you, as you're going about diving, and it's called laying a shot line. So what, what's happening is as they're diving, they're leaving a trail of rope. And that, and that trail of rope um, is, is really all that they have in the midst of the total darkness of that cave. It's the only way, their only hope of finding their way out is to keep a hold of this shot line. And so the darkness, you have to understand, is really complete. It's, it's a total darkness because there's no light whatsoever making it into this cave. Remember, you have to go down through a little pond and then through a tunnel, and then you're in the cave. And so there's no light that's making its way there. The divers have flashlights, but those are only able to cut a narrow path of visibility. And so what happened on this, in this story is that Don Shirley, at about 800 feet uh, underwater, he had an equipment, uh, some of his equipment malfunctioned. And so it broke. There was a crack and something that I don't really know much about, but something cracked, which is not good when you're 800 feet underwater. And some things started to go wrong really quickly. And a nightmare scenario began to unfold for Don Shirley. And um, eventually, or quickly after that, he got a helium bubble in his ear. um, And then he, he began vomiting because of the way that that disrupts you. He had vertigo. But the worst thing, poss- worst thing of all, all that was happening was that in the midst of the chaos, he lost his grip on the shot line. He lost his grip on the one thing, the one way that he could find his way out. And so he was disoriented, swimming in circles, in total darkness with just a flashlight, vomiting underwater, searching desperately for the one thing that could get him out of that place. 
And it's that moment that has made this story so unforgettable to me. This story has stuck with me for years and years. I can't seem to get it out of my mind. I think it's because of the terror, the idea, just the, just kind of trying to get myself in the story, the idea of just how terrifying it would be to lose your only hope of escape from a place like that. The sinking feeling of looking down and realizing that the rope is not in your hands. And so that's what the author of Hebrews, I think, is actually saying about the message of Jesus to us in this moment, that he's that Jesus has come, he's actually come into the depths of where we are. We, we had already lost this shot line, but Jesus came and he carried it to us. He put it in our hands. And, and so he's saying, don't let it slip through your fingers. Whatever you do, cling to that rope. And so depending on the, the frequency and intensity of suffering in your life, I think it can be actually pretty easy to forget the darkness that we are swimming in as human beings the danger that exists for our souls day in and day out. It can be easy to lose our grip on this gospel shot line. And so the first time I actually heard this story, what's interesting is that the story was in a segment that was titled, uh, Where No One Should Go. That was the title of it, Where No One Should Go. Uh, But the reality for us is that it's already where we are. It wasn't that we chose to show up in this uh, darkness in this cave, in this really dangerous spot for our souls. It's where we already are. And, and don't get me wrong, there is like this richness and a beauty in the moments of our lives. There is uh, joy to be had in this life. It's not all awfulness around us. We know this. I mean, food it tastes really, really good. We, I mean, some of it does, some of it doesn't. Um, uh, some, some of the things that I eat, I'm just like, man, this is a really rich meal or a really rich relationship. Or, you know, even this week, I was just t- crushed by the weight of goodness of this moment I got to share with my daughter. I was like just so crushed by it. She, she picked out a book. Um, and this book was kind of about a dad and daughter and how much he loved her. And, and I was just reading through it. And I just t- came like totally unglued. I was just crying all over the place. And uh, she was like you all right, dad? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I just love you. And uh, now she's like messing with me throughout the, she's three, but she's like, I guess you love me so much that you're just crying, you know? And I was like, it's true. I, I do. I love you so much that I just got crushed by it. And this book, what it reminded me of is just how this is so, so good. This relationship I have that I love my daughter and my daughters, both of them, Emma and Lucy. I love them both so, so much. But this uh, experience, I had the love that I was experiencing, the goodness, the richness of that relationship actually is the oxygen, so to speak, that's coming from the tanks I've carried down into this darkness and into these depths with me, this oxygen that's kind of shining through into the moment that I'm in. And so the reality is, is that that oxygen is going to run out, that we have to get to the actual surface, to the source of the oxygen. There is more than just these glimpses of goodness, of rich, rich things, of common grace that God has shown to us, the sun shining days and sweet relationships and all, all the beauty that exists in the world is just a it's almost just like the light that's making its way into the darkness of the cave that we are in and so i'll ask again with the writer of hebrews when you remember where the state of our souls what the the danger that we really live in how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation how will we escape the place that we find ourselves if we lose our grip on this rope. 
And the answer from the scriptures is that you won't. If we neglect this great salvation, if we pass this by, if we reject this or lose sight of it or just lose our grip on it, that there is no other salvation that's offered. There's no other rope. There's no other way out. And so our only hope is in this gospel rope, is uh, how I've thought about it this week. And so my encouragement to you, my pleading for you, even in this season, of that's why we're doing this series, and kind of just in, as your life, lives have been disrupted, even just momentarily, would you, would, would we, what if we just use the disruption to recapture the things that are most important? Our grip on this gospel rope. And so we're, I think the way that we hold on to that, the way that we actually keep our grip is uh, through some of these practices of presence. It's not boxes are checked. It's, it's, a, it's a tightening, a clinging to the gospel rope that we've been given in Jesus. And so that's why these practices of presence, why they're not recreational, but they're critical. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You got to hold tight. We should pay much closer attention to the things we've heard from Jesus. Not less, but more. And so I want to highlight two more of these practices today. Last week we talked about prayer and fasting as practices of presence. And so if prayer is talking to God, the first practice I want to look at today is listening to God. And so that is reading or listening to his word, what he has spoken to us. And I'll refer you back to last week's message just to remind you that there's a way of doing this, a way of uh, practicing these presents that actually doesn't accomplish what God intends for them to accomplish. There's a way in which you can uh, study the Bible and not hold on to the gospel shot line. I looked up and I was reminded of and then looked up this Bible quiz association. Like It's like these um, competitions for people um, that want to just get quizzed on the Bible. And so there's, there's some component of that that's redemptive where it's like, yeah, that's great. We are memorizing or knowing the scriptures, um, but it makes, them an, makes it an end in and of itself just to know, just to know the, the answer to the quiz question. And so you might know a lot about the Bible and not actually be listening to God's voice as you are engaging with it. You might read the Bible, but not let it read you. There are tons of seminary students. There's people all over the world that know more about the Bible than you. That's almost, it would be shocking if, if, if you were the most like biblically qualified, competent person in the world listening to this. I know that I'm not. There's people who know more about the Bible than I do that don't believe it, that read it and are not read by it. And so Jesus calls out the Pharisees on this really, really hard. He goes right after them saying that they searched the scriptures thinking that in them they found salvation, but they miss the point of the whole thing because they miss him as they read him. The Pharisees knew their Old Testament better than we do, and they missed Jesus in all of it. And so what I want you to consider is why it is that you might not want to actually read the Bible in this way as a practice of presence. Why, why would you actually not do that? In Hebrews 4, later on, you know, you pick up Hebrews, you keep going to chapter 4, I think it actually has a really helpful word for us. It says this, Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so I, don't, I think we don't read the Bible in this way, devotionally, uh, with ears listening for what God is saying to us, 
with this openness of our soul to engage in God's presence. We don't read the Bible that way because we don't want to be exposed. It's scary and it's hard and maybe uncomfortable sometimes to be exposed in these ways. We don't want the parts of our soul that need a doctor to be touched because they're hurting maybe. My dad is a Marine and um, he's, a, he's just a, he's a really sweet man and an intense man at the same time. And growing up, we, if I got a sliver in my hand or my foot or something, he would inevitably pull out his K-bar, which is a very, very scary, terrifying looking knife that looks way too large to do the job of getting out a sliver. And, and was it an effective tool? I really don't know because I just black out whenever I saw it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, it was effective tool. It, it worked to get out the, uh, the, the sliver that I had. And so what, what was happening is my dad was using a sharp tool to make helpful cuts to get out what was hurting. And our heavenly dad, our heavenly dad, he only uses his word to cut us up, to cut us open, or to, to cut out things that are ultimately going to bring us life. His word cuts us like a surgeon to bring life. And in 2 Peter 1, Peter's describing his confidence in the gospel and he talks about an experience he had on a mountaintop with Jesus. I think we'd all like to have that experience. It just seemed like this moment where his glory was revealed in magnificent, awesome ways. Where He literally heard the voice of God talking about the Son, the Father speaking about the Son. He could hear it with his ears. But he follows that up talking about the same voice writing the scriptures that we get to read. In 2 Peter 1, 19-21, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a, to a lamp shining in a dark place, like your gospel shot line leading you home. And he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These are God's words for you. That's what Peter, who heard an audible voice of God, he would say, where, where should you go? Should you go digging around just hoping that you get that experience? He said, why would you wait? Just open the scriptures and you can hear from him now. And so God in prayer has invited us to speak to him. And so I'm asking you to, this week, would you begin a practice if you maybe if you've set it down or maybe if you've just lost courage in your pursuit of the scriptures maybe would you make time and space in your life for him to speak to you now he's invited you to speak to him would you invite him to speak to you practically it's helpful to have two things a plan and a process uh, to help you engage with God's word consistently and effectively and so on our resource page online, fwcitychurch.com, you can go to our resource page, and there's going to be a resource that uh, helps walk you through something called REAP. And it's just an acronym. There's a bunch of versions of it, that, but, but it's an it's a acronym that has helped me engage with the Scriptures in this consistent, effective way. Okay, and so what that stands for is read, examine, apply, and pray. So every time that we're opening up the Scriptures, if you just want to think, we'll have questions that will help you guide through how to do that, but you want to read the Scriptures, examine, look closely at them, apply them to your life, and pray that God would help them to be effective in you. And uh, if you haven't been reading, uh, my, well, let me tell you about this first. In, in terms of a plan, so that's a process, and then you need a plan. And so next Sunday, we're going to launch into a series on the Old Testament, and we're going to invite you to read it through together with us. 
It's going to be a, a, a really rich summer. We're going to read through the Old Testament together, and there's going to be a reading, a reading plan that will get into your hands that you can actually have, just know what you're going to be reading that day. Um, but for this week, if you just want to start into Genesis, you can get a head start, or you can just commit to reading a book of the Bible as many times as you can this week. That can be your plan. It doesn't have to be really complex and getting from all these different parts of the Scriptures. Just read something in the Scriptures until it reads you. If you have a question, ask somebody. Ask God and then ask somebody else, help me understand this. Wrestle with those things so that they can be wrestled, uh, massaged into you. And I'll tell you this, if you've been maybe in a desert scripturally, you haven't been touching God's word in a long time. Um, I just, I, I, had, I had somebody, you know, help me this way one time. They said, if you're dehydrated, uh, you don't just chug a bunch of water right away. It actually would be kind of overwhelming, but you just take sips. Just take sips until you get hydrated again. And so maybe just this week, if you don't try to have every moment or everything set aside, you got your Bible and your coffee and your journal and, you know, your kids or uh, however you got them to stay quiet for that period of time, you know, you got this moment set aside so you can spend an hour. And if it's not an hour, it's not even worth it. That's not true. Just start getting into it and letting it get into you. And so uh, the other practice we're going to look at uh, today is Sabbath rest. And so in Hebrews 4, actually, where the author describes the Word of God being this sharp, two-edged sword, um, he actually, right before that, he is, he's coming off an extended discussion on the rest of God, like the Sabbath rest of God. And so the verse before it says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then he goes on to talk about God's word. And so he's saying, we want to strive, we want to work, practice to keep ourselves positioned under this waterfall of grace that we may enter into the forever Sabbath of God. And so to help us do that, we keep this rhythm of work and rest that God himself kept six days work, one day rest, six days work, one day rest. We keep this rhythm, okay? And so to consider this practice, I want to invite you into a discussion I have with Matt and Nicole Tatum. And they've, they've, they're, they're a family, the Tatums are a family, longtime family of City Church, and, um, and we love them, and they've diligently pursued this practice of Sabbath. So I wanted you to get to hear from them how they've gone about practicing that. Um, Sabbath for us, we, um, we look to it as being a submission to holy rest, um, where we cease from work. We, um, we just stop doing (laughs) the work that God calls us to like the good work, but we still, we stop from it and we, um, and we take the day to enjoy God, enjoy our lives, uh, enjoy our family that he's given us. Um, and we just see it as a day set apart for that. Um, yeah, that's, what would you add? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Sabbath existed before, you know, the law. It was uh, one of the third, first things we see in scripture that God created uh, the world, the heavens and the earth, he put man in it. And then on the seventh day, he rested and he blessed the day and, and made it holy. Um, and I think one of the really cool things that we see in Sabbath is that Adam and Eve, the very first day that they are alive and on this earth is Sabbath. And it's just, here's this amazing garden that I have cultivated and created for you to share with me. Just enjoy it today. You know, we'll talk about work tomorrow, you know, and uh, we just see this really cool rhythm um, uh, repeated throughout scripture um, in the old and the new Testament. And so 
um, yeah, that's what I think. The other thing that I would say about Sabbath um, is that um, maybe some people probably think about it as just like a like a physical rest. It's just like I'm like a lethargic or like lay on the couch all day. And there's a physical component too, but I think that what we learn is that there's a much more holistic component to what God calls us to in Sabbath, where we're actually pursuing worshipful rest with our bodies, but also our mind um, and our, our spirit, you know, our soul. Because um, there's a lot of things I can do with my feet up on the couch or I'm on Facebook or on my phone or, you know, watching the news that is not, it's not rest for my mind or my spirit. And so just being very intentional with the time that we have, because Sabbath is what we think is like, a, it's a kingdom picture, you know, it's a picture of, uh, of how God is, uh, his kingdom is going to operate uh, the time uh, that we spend with him. And so uh, we just try and be intentional with that day. And I think that's one of the key parts of practicing Sabbath is preparation. Um, and for us, that looks like the day before, you know, getting, if there's any pressing responsibilities that we need to address, taking care of that, um, tidying up around the house. It is not peaceful for either one of us to be in a messy, chaotic house. And so, um, you know, that's tidying things up. I think what the other side to that though, to is important to remember is I'm not going to knock out my to-do list. And so I, we have to enter into Sabbath knowing that the to-do list is not complete and trusting God with that. That's that's part of the practice is laying that down and saying, even though I haven't gotten to all of this, um, I'm still going to enter into this rest because I trust you, God. Um, and so there's an element of preparation that's really important. And then there's an element of surrender that comes. And that is how we kind of begin the practice of Sabbath for us. Mm -hmm. um, what would you add about prep? Um, clear the calendar. Um, turn off your phone. Um, mm -hmm. things like that, um, say no to things, um, you know, kind of creating as much as we have to kind of create some physical space, we have to create some time space as well. And, uh, we're just wired to be hurried, busy people. And, you know, I think as humans, but also in our culture. And so there's just a resistance against that, you know, that it has to, you have to actively engage with. I think it's just like doing things that you you uh, you delight in, you know. And um, so that doesn't mean that I can't go on a run or or do things that are maybe strenuous from a physical perspective. But so that's something run. like we, you know, one of the questions we'll ask when we do something is, is it life giving? Yeah. So for Matt, going on a run is life giving. And if you were to tell me to go on a run, I, that would not be life giving. <laughs> so it's like it's figuring out what is life giving to you. Um, and yeah, like, um, for us, we tend to start our Sabbath the evening before at dinner. Um, we usually light candles at dinner. We, we have these little, um, we just want these little like artifacts that the kids can latch onto and see. And that way they know something different is happening now. And so they know like when we pull out the candles, um, you know, Saturday night, we're entering into Sabbath. Um, and then that way, I think it is really beautiful to start Sabbath um, in the evening time so that you do wake up. And it's like waking up on Christmas Day, you know, that yeah. with that, like, oh, it's Sabbath, you know. So yeah. that's been important. Yeah. 
a big part of Sabbath is is presence and just being present, you know. And so we try and we spend time with each other and intent try and spend intentional time with each other. But you're right, like there's still things that we have to do. Like um, we haven't been practicing this since you know potty training diapers, but we would have changed them. no, but I think there's a certain level of, of, of love and intentionality with just the, the time that we spend together and also not burning them with things that are not, that are, you know, like they're not putting away their laundry. We're not doing homework. We're not doing things like that with them, not making them make their bed or things like that, which we're, you know, regularly making do that. Um, those type of things, we just try and create space for rest for them as well. And we tell them, I mean, Sabbath isn't just for us. Sabbath is for the whole family. And, um, and so in the beginning, when we were beginning this practice, that was a comment, like that was a conversation we had every week of saying, okay, tell me some things that you did this week that were work, like good things, even hard things. And we celebrated our work for the week. And then we said, today, you don't have to do your laundry today. You're not doing school, you know? And, um, and so inviting them into that is really important. And I know that, um, you know, depending on the age of the kiddo, it's, they're not going to understand. Um, but I think, um, we also, do, we also do chocolate milk and sweet. They, sweet yeah. We're, we ask the kids, um, you know, today we were asking them like, how, what would you say about Sabbath? You know? And they said, um, what did they say about Jesus and Sabbath or sweet? sweet so we get a, his love is sweet, so we get a sweet treat. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, like, they know, you know, in the same way, like the night before we have the candles and we use paper plates, um, for Sunday morning, they get like really rich chocolate milk. Um, and right. that's, a, that's an artifact for them to know. Um, Something special. I, cool. And I think, you know, I mentioned one question we ask is, is this life-giving? And another question for me that I ask a lot is, um, is this drawing me closer to God? Um, and so that's kind of one way for me to distinguish between relaxing and resting. You know, I, on a Tuesday night, I might, you know, put the kids to bed and then go watch the office, which is relaxing, but that's not necessarily drawing me closer to God, you know? And so the things that I do on Sabbath, um, am I going to read this, you know, book of fiction that, um, you know, is maybe just like a fluffy book or, or do I want to read something else that is going to just draw my affections closer to God? Put it on the calendar, like a week in advance or several days in advance. Yeah. And, um, and don't, don't worry about like making sure you've got like a system in place, like consider it a practice, jump in and then let the Holy Spirit guide you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so I feel like, the, like, put it on the calendar, put your phone aside, go outside, go for a walk, enjoy God's creation, um, and start there. All right, I hope that was helpful conversation with Matt and Nicole. Thank you guys so much for your help on that. Actually, if you want to engage in further discussion with them on Sabbath rest and how to begin to practice that as an individual or as a family, you can jump onto a Q&A time with them this Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. or Thursday at noon. We'll send out Zoom links so you can partake in that, or you feel free to email Matt and Nicole and just ask questions or engage with them. They'd love to uh, help you celebrate a Sabbath rest on a weekly basis. And so City Church, I just want to remind you of this one thing as we're signing off here, that the, the 
this kind of gospel shot line, this rope of salvation. I just want to, I just want you to know, maybe if the season you're in it right now is really hard and feels like maybe God is uh, not just um, indifferent about you finding that rope. Maybe if you've lost your grip on it or it feels really weak, that God's not trying to hide that rope and he's not trying to rip it out of your hands. That's not what he's trying to do. He's a good, good dad. And so the cuts he makes, the pruning he does, it's in love and it brings life. And so I just want to encourage you to lean in. Uh, don't lean away. Don't run away right now. The cuts that he's making, those, prune, those are pruning cuts. Those are uh, surgical cuts. He's not trying to rip the rope out of your hand. And so if you would, man, would you, would you just pick one of these things and start leaning in, listening to his voice, sharing your heart with him, resting with him and resting from your work? Uh, I hope you can do that. My, my, my really big hope for this disrupted season is that, that God would capture these moments to reorient your life around him, uh, the source of endless joy. And, um, and that in all of that, you would, uh, we would be able to come back together as a church whenever that's able, whenever we're able to do that. Um, we're trusting his timing on that, that when we get to come back together, uh, there will be a spark in that moment that, that really is just revealing revival and renewal that he's already begun in your life. And so would you lean in? I think that's where God is calling you is to himself and then to be present with those he's put around you. And so can't wait to launch into this new series with you next week, whether that's on a video screen in person, however we're going to do that, we're going to lean in and study God's word together. And I believe that God's going to do something really sweet, and really rich through that, bring revival, joyful worship and advance his kingdom in every generation. Love you, City Church.